Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag. It's a pleasure having you with us. My name is still Marcus Christopher Speller. Andy Brassel is with us. Say hello, Andy. Andrew Hammers Brassel reporting for duty. Good man. And we have a very special guest in the form of Luke Aaron Moore. Luke, hello. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'm not sure how special I am, really, but I appreciate the sentiment. Thank you very much. It's the first time that we've had more than two people on the mailbag, I think, Andy. So do you feel do you feel a bit concerned? Do you feel a bit uh, uh, sort of jealous and precious over your space being invaded? Or are you thinking the more the merrier? Well, I feel it's not very much in keeping with social distancing, but uh, I'm going to try and put that out of my mind for the next 30 minutes. I think, Marcus, yes. we're, we're all absolutely clear, aren't we? And every single listener as well will be that I am not in any way a threat to Andy's uh, insight here. <laughs> Yeah, not a threat to his crown. No, no, not like you in, in Luke's game. But I just thought maybe we'll join. I'll, I'll, I'll pop along, yeah. have, have a bit of fun as well. Maybe the patrons might feel they get a little bit more bang for their buck. And if they complain, I just won't come back. <laughs> and I, th- I think the, the, the good Patreon people know that in these lockdown times, we, we, we want to find stuff to do. And here you are. Absolutely right. Absolutely bloody exactly. Yeah, I'm turning up and hanging about on uh, Luke and Pete next week. I mean, they, they don't know that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm just going to be there, sort of, you know, lounging he, at the back of the room, tutting regularly. and makes uh, comments mm. about drum and bass in the background. That's well, it. You often, you often just sort of turn up and hang around on BT Sport, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's right. That's that's a joke, Andy. You actually earn your money, whereas maybe one or two others don't. No, Marcus, that is a joke from you, but I actually, I would like it to be known for the record that I do believe that. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, the good patron people have got some questions in. We're all uh, very, very excited uh, to know that. And uh, let's start off with, uh, let's start off with this one from Dorhey, who's a regular contributor, who says, is it fair for me to absolutely hate the Bundesliga? (laughs) Um, <laughs> I've got to come every week and this is the way this is what it's like that's brilliant yeah fucking it's, stick the boot in it's like, he, it's like he knew you were going to be on Luke he says hey, if, if, if we take the Bundesliga I feel it's completely valueless because everyone just collapses and cries um, whenever Bayern even breathe on them I know Bayern <laughs> is this Tim would he burn it <laughs> Uh, I know Bayern have a massive financial advantage, but I can't help but feel they don't really have to do much as the other teams seem intent on shooting themselves in the foot. (laughs) It's a point. It's a point. (laughs) I I, I think it's a point that um, carries more weight, actually, if if you go back a couple of seasons, um, pre-Hansi Flick. um, I think at the moment, you can't blame anyone um, for falling short of Bayern because um, under Hansi Flick they have an an incredible squad and an incredible very well coached and managed squad even in these times when um, teams and and, and clubs are are stretched beyond belief by by the calendar and the conditions we're playing in Um, but I I, I think there is a point to be made particularly um, when you look at Ancelotti's time at Bayern, particularly when you look at Niko Kovac's time at Bayern. Well, I was about to say, Andy, they they won the league quite, you know, easy peasy under Kovac, and that was the chance, surely, for for Dortmund, who finished two points behind them. But mm. even then, they still triumphed. Yeah, um, but I think we have to like put in perspective what we're actually expecting from um, both 
teams, clubs, uh, and actually coaches as well. Because when we look at um, Dortmund and their few stumble trips that um, stopped them winning the league the season before last, um, that's what Lucien Five does. You know, he's he's been in a position to to win the title before with Hertha, unless we forget, and it it didn't happen. So um, he was doing nothing more than confirming what we already knew about him that he's a really terrific coach, but he's probably not going to see you. Um, to a title also I think mainly I think this question is going to focus on Dortmund isn't it because um, Dortmund have been the most consistent um, I suppose that the the most consistent facade of a threat is probably the best way of putting it uh, to Bayern over this last almost decade Um, we've said it before and I'm sure we'll say it again that they provoked Bayern to be their best ever by not just uh, winning the title but um, in two successive seasons, but by, in the second of those seasons, absolutely thwacking them in the DFB-Pokal final. So um, um, Dort- Dortmund have, have, have played a huge part in this story. But I think if we look at Dortmund's last... Um, probably probably three, four years, maybe not even that... You look at everything that's happened in that time, just since Thomas Tuchel has left, actually. It's, it's been absolutely remarkable. And I, I don't think you can squarely put that down to them falling short because of the pressure that Bayern have put on them. It's actually all Dortmund's problems in that time. And, you know, they've not been Barcelona kind of problems or Deportivo La Coruña sort of problems. But a, a lot of difficulties they've had have had absolutely nothing to do with Bayern it's, it's all been internal so you look at the the sort of um, feeling behind the scenes that Thomas Tuchel left and obviously Sven Mislintat going was because of ructions he'd had with Tuchel and the fact that he didn't really felt that the club had, had dealt with it and it's always sad to see a Sven go <laughs> always <laughs> we want to see we want to see them coming if anything yeah exactly <laughs> Hey, that, joining in, Andy. Finally, someone's getting on board. It's, it's, it's because I know Luke's watching me. That's the, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Sorry judging me, you. It's making me up my game. Um, but I, I think you look at everything that's happened there as, as well, and um, you look at uh, the aftermath of the bus attack, which they didn't really deal with. Um, you look at the short Peter Bosch period, um, the really rocky Peter Sturger period after that. The fact that Lucien Favre has never really been a fit for for, for Dortmund despite the fact he, I think globally he did a very good job but in terms of what Dortmund expect as a football culture um, someone put it really brilliantly on, on, on Twitter when they said um, here's a coach with a team that's set to win games 5-3 but the coach wants to win the games 1-0 and I think that was a really really good way of, of, mm. of putting it um, then they've had to deal with the fact that really they've moved from this sort of underdog situation that they still were in the first three or four years of Klopp into something else which has become this big global business so there's almost been a bit of a battle for the soul of Borussia Dortmund um, so they've they've been keeping a lot of balls in the air, and they've they've had to go from being one sort of football club in a way to another. Even if the club themselves will say, "Well, we've been consistent in terms of what we mean and what what our values are," 
still they're operating on a completely different level I think financially and globally to, to, to what they used to then um, I guess you look at the other contenders you look at um, Leipzig and the fact that they are a contender whatever you think of the model is you know a, a, amazing that they've come so far in such a, a short period of time and again for them even to slightly threaten Bayern is something pretty special and then you look at some of the, the biggest clubs in the country who've just been an absolute mess off the pitch and it's funny isn't it when we think of German football as this model of stability and then you look at Stuttgart who with Mislintet are kind of on their way back but they've still got a bit of um, internal strife at the moment with a, a struggle for power at the top of the club with Thomas Hitzelsberger kind of pitching to, to be the new president and, and then that's before we even get to Dortmund's rivals Schalke and the mess that they've been in in the last couple of years so um, I take the point but it's not just about the little bit of pressure that Bayern are applying is I think internal conflicts and internal difficulties at a lot of those clubs can I, can I answer the question in a slightly different way I know Andy's been given a very comprehensive kind of overview of the Bundesliga there as, we, as we've come to know and expect mm-hmm. but I think um, it is valueless yeah, no, but I, but I, th- I think <laughs> what my uh, point of view or the Bundesliga yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I, th- I think it's interesting to come at it from a slightly different angle I don't have the, the, um, the, the depth of knowledge on, on European football that Andy has clearly but Marcus you and I well, all three of us actually are old enough to remember that you know, football seemed to be quite cyclical so what I would say to the emailer is well if you're going to focus that kind of um, that kind of ire or, or criticism towards the Bundesliga then you probably need to focus it on Italy who you know Juventus have just won their 36th title and have won however many in a row and mm. focus it on France as well so that's three of the top what five leagues or whatever in, in the, Scotland in the, well they're included um, I think well, not just those Spain if, if you go back to sure. if well, you Andy, go let, back let, to let, the let, season let, let, before let, 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 last Barcelona Andy. have won 8 out of 11 let me make, you've, let, had, a, let me make you've had a good go Andy um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, just, I just wanted to, to, to say because I wanted to build it on to probably something a little bit different which might be even more interesting which is that yeah you're fine Spain's another one as well great they, they all count right football used to be cyclical and it used to be cyclical for quite obvious reasons and what's what I think we're seeing happening now is notwithstanding the idea that some teams are badly run despite having a huge advantage and have not been able to to you know, to 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 hit that advantage home. Um, if you're going to take take an example of that, you would say we're not we're actually we're not really talking about the Premier League here because this is, it's actually a little bit more competitive in my opinion. But if you were to take Man United, well, Man United have got an inherent advantage over a team like Leicester City, right? But Manchester United have have, have for whatever reason absolved themselves of this of this advantage because of the way they've handled the transition between Alex Ferguson and whoever's come next. But most teams now, because of the way football is governed and because of the way it's financed, are in a position where they can do this type of stuff. Despite what Andy's saying about um, Dortmund and and um, whoever else you mentioned, Stuttgart and Leipzig, it's still fair to say that your your super giant clubs are now set apart from pretty much every other club. And if you look at the Bundesliga, even go back to the early 2000s, I mean, Andy will correct me if I'm wrong, it was a lot more competitive then. I mean, it's not just that Bayern Munich uh, are winning the title regularly, and they've won it for the last, is it eight seasons, Andy? Mm. I think you said. It's that they're winning it. I think three of the last four seasons, they've won it for, by double-digit points, I think. So so it's it's clear now that we might be seeing the start or even getting into the mid-period of, of the end of this cyclical nature of football at the top level. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, and I think yeah. that's fair. And I think that maybe people often don't 
realize um, what a huge operation Bayern is. Now, I, may, I know that may sound weird, but because when they went and bought, say, Lucas Hernandez um, last, last year, and that was almost double their previous transfer record, paying 80 million euros. And so we always assume that they're um, just just superbly run and you know in in terms of what they're actually able to spend they're so far behind Barcelona and um Real Madrid and all the, all the biggest names of the Premier League what is often not acknowledged is and I, I think it's, it's it's worth acknowledging the fact that um success when we talk about money's relationship to success it tends to be the more you spend on player wages more, rather than what you spend on fees is what yeah. helps to make the you successful. Kind of, uh, yeah. Model, yeah, and yeah. that's what that's what Bayern have been doing for a long time now. They've they've paid wages that outstrip uh, the transfer fees, and um, they've been paid, paying wages that are that are up there with 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 most clubs, and um, you know only, only short of, I guess. Uh, Messi, Ronaldo, sort of, sort of levels, really. So I think that you know, you look at the last couple of seasons, and like I said, Hansi Flick, I, I think that represents a, a difference in the way that um, Bayern have run and the way that they're going, and the sort of way in which that they play football as well. But even if you go back to not just the run that they went on, the Niko Kovac era in his last full season there, the running that they put together. I mean, only with an almost perfect running could they take advantage of Dortmund's mistakes. So I know we look at the moments where Dortmund crumbled in that season, like when they were 3-0 up at home to Hoffenheim and and, and they let it slip. And, you know, that's reasonable and that's justifiable to to, to look back at that with some regret if you're a neutral or a, a Dortmund supporter. But the fact is, if Bayern aren't absolutely relentless and they're able to do that because of the players they've got rather than necessarily the coach... I think that's very hard to to get past. Mm. Uh, gentlemen, just two final things from me. Uh, it's not since, obviously, Klopp and Dortmund uh, won the league, in which we've not seen Bayern win the title. And obviously the previous, uh, or the other team, um, other than Bayern and Dortmund, was, was Wolfsburg. And of course, it begs the question, do we need Jürgen Klopp to come back to the Bundesliga to try and stop Bayern? That's possible. Or do we need Felix Magat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with both. These both, are questions yeah. that not even Andy can answer fully, I would say. And it's good delivery and nodded down and in. And Lewandowski has done it again. The pole at the double this time around. Expertly guided into the corner. Uh, While well, I was in the Bundesliga, let, let's stay there because our, our great friend Lee R has uh, asked a question and he's asking for thoughts on how Hertha are doing this season. They seem to be taking a long time to find their feet. I know Andy predicted them to do well this season, but typical Hertha, they've let him down. Is Bruno Andy, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Is Bruno Labadia the man for the job still and how important will Matteo Guendouzi be uh, settling in? Labadia is still the man for the job, in my opinion. Labadia. I said Labadia. I always get that one wrong. Sorry. I love that song. Labadie, Labadada. I'm the scat man. 
I, I think he continues to be the man for the job and I think he's a very underrated coach um, as we've said before um, on here and on OTC he's kind of um, squared as the, the the German Sam Allardyce and he, he's been trying to move away from that for, for a while I think he deserves the opportunity to, to show that he can do something with a team that's qualifying for Europe and he has qualified his, his last team before Hertha for Europe in, in, in Wolfsburg as well so um, we, we, we have to respect that I thought they played really really well after um, the, the the resumption following the pandemic and um like Lee says, I, I based a lot of my thoughts on that, that, that they would they would go on and do really well. Um, they've been able to sign like few other clubs have, have done in, in, in 2020 as well. Um, but uh, the, the gap, I guess, between um, where they actually are and the level of expectation is, is still significant and that's something they have to deal with um they have been really disappointing so far um i think part of that and um that's something i think they're going to remedy in the coming weeks is is midfield i think that's a huge part of it because um uh, lee mentioned uh matteo genduzzi who's been pretty promising actually they need to get him and luca tussar in the, in the same midfield together and they've only really managed to do that in, in the last little while because um you need Tussar as, as, as the breaker and also as someone a little bit more steady um, because Genduzzi's a terrific footballer um, but I think in terms of his positional play he's still a little bit raw he's still a little bit unpredictable and that's less um, ruinous to the, to the team if you've got um, a steady hand on the tiller with, with Luca Tussar. So I, I think that helps. I, s I still think they need to get the defence sorted out. Um, I think if Jordan Turin-Ariga played every week, that, that, would, that would be a plus for them. Um, I, I think the full-backs are issues as, as well. The, the attacking part of the team, I don't think there's any argument at all. And um, if they can get John Cordoba um, fit and, and playing all the time again again though they still need to find the, the, the right blend I, I think you could say um, you know they spent a lot of money on Christoph Piontek and he's not always first choice they've often used him off the bench which given that they're hurting and given that they've spent an extraordinary amount of money on him is um, quite a, a statement I think there's got to be an understanding that it's, it's, it's a work in progress of course what makes it difficult the whole time is the fact that Union have done really good business in the transfer market. They've um, added some good experience to firm them up. And as we record now, they finished Saturday night last weekend in fourth position in the table, which is extraordinary. You know, they've beaten Dortmund. They've drawn with Bayern. And um, their coach, Urs Fischer, is always saying, oh, well, yeah, we're still a little bit wet behind the ears in top division terms they're, they're really not and the players they've brought in like Max Cruiser and Cruiser has been out the last little while after a really good opening start to the season he got a nasty thigh injury which is going to keep him out probably till the back end of February um, but, but they've been able to cover for him and, and so that shows you how well they've built their squad and you know they're not aiming at such a sort of dazzling brand of football as Hertha will hope to create with, with Cunha at the heart of it all but um, they're really effective they're really effective and they're really tough and I think it's, it's a difficult sell if not only the Hertha not get into Europe but they finish below Union that's, that's, that's tough to get past Andy is it, this might be a bit of a stupid question given what we're seeing with the, this global pandemic that we're all still living through but 
when 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 a club is taken over with with big money, and I know it's not quite as big money as, as some other clubs we've seen, but nevertheless, they they go through almost like a bit of a transition where they they attract a certain quality or level of player, and then people start to buy into the project more, and they inch further forward and everything, and then they get into a situation where they're they're working with the world's best players, you know, broadly. We saw that with Man City, didn't we? We saw the, the type of player they could attract at the start was perhaps with respect to those players, not mm. the world-beating players straight away, uh, maybe by the odd exception. But I don't follow German football anywhere near as closely as you, of course, but I do see it, I do watch it a bit. And I wonder now, I remember you and I talking about Hertha on, on OTC, you know, over a year ago. Uh, why, are they, why are they struggling to attract a, a better quality of player? I don't think they are really um, I, I think the sort of players they're getting at the moment are exactly the sort of players that they should be getting do you still think they're in that transitional phase yeah they are definitely okay. but I think that they, they're going after the right sort of player if, if I was a, a Hertha fan I would be reasonably encouraged because going for Cunha going for Toussaint those are the sort of players that they, they should be bringing the sort of players that can help them in the short and medium term and the sort of players that they can grow with. Now, when the Lars Windhorst money was coming in originally, they were there was a lot of talk about players like Draxler and Goetze and Xhaka. And those are the sort of players that they need to stay away from because those are the sort of players who, mm. again, with all due respect, are used to playing for bigger clubs and they would simply be coming for the money, I think, in, 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 in many cases. So I think to go for younger players who can actually grow with the team, that shows that they're on the right track. And that makes me feel optimistic for them, even if they don't get into to Europe this season. Because I, I think, like you said, the easiest thing when you've got new investment, big new investment, is to think, let's go out there and fill the stadium. And that's always been an issue for, for her to pre-pandemic, you know, the, the, filling the Olympia Stadium, which is, you know, as you both know, because I know you've both been there, a huge cavernous, no, dif- not great. difficult to generate atmosphere in in, yeah. in, in in some occasions sort of sort of stadium. So you think to excite the locals, we've, we've got to get some names in. But the biggest name is not always the best signing. I, I think they've grasped that relatively quickly and they extricated themselves from the dumpster fire that was Jurgen Klinsmann quite quickly as well. <laughs> Poor old Klinsy. Are you surprised that Christoph Piontek has not, not really sort of done what they would have hoped he would do. I mean, I remember that season at Genoa when he was magnificent and obviously Milan signed him and he did okay there, I think, initially. But I'm sort of surprised to see where he is. He's only 25 and he had such promise, such hope. But I think when we're talking about carts getting put before horses, I think Piontek's quite a good example of that, Marcus, because you talked about that great season he had at Genoa. Well, it was a half season, really. You know, he was, he was, he was sold to, to, to Milan in the winter break and you think the route that he took, um, you know, he, he took the great glass elevator and then some because um, he moved over to Italy and no one back home in Poland was really expecting anything of him. He wasn't thought of as a as a hot prospect by um, people in Polish football. And then on the back of this half season, he got a really big move to, to, to Milan and almost he's been playing catch up the whole time. Now, I think there's enough in his all-round game that he can work on that he could become more than just a goal scorer and just someone who can do stuff in the penalty box but it's, it's a little bit like Klaasian Huntelaar really I, th- I think the, he reminds me of him by the way really that, that's interesting I, th- I yeah. think like 
not as good. The turn up, the, the, the movement that he's gone on, the journey yeah. that he's gone on, and the pace of transfers, and the fact that his collateral value has almost been more than his actual value has been something that hasn't really helped his development. So unlike Huntelaar, I think he needs to stick to somewhere, become part of the rotation, which sounds ridiculous when they paid so much money for him, but there's a good argument that he's not in Hertha's best 11. And they almost seem to have found this sweet spot where they can bring him on, he's something completely different and you know he can provide the, the the opposition with like different problems to to deal with and he's had a bit of success off the bench notably in the Berlin derby where he came on and and scored a couple of goals against a, a Tyrone Union team but if if I was picking an 11 mm-hmm. for Hertha I don't think he, he he'd be in it for me if I if I was uh Labadia I'll, 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 I wouldn't pick him and and sorry Mark I just very very quickly is, is there anything in this the idea that perhaps he so so I've, I'm led to believe Hertha play what is Cordoba playing up front on his own is he with the, with the three behind him well Cordoba's yeah, really. not so, been, so not, Piontek Cordoba's, kind of... Cordoba's not been fit for a lot of the season right okay so that, that's 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 been an issue um, he's, he's playing more now but Cordoba is 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 so bullish and so engaged. I think you need him to, to get at teams. But the the amount of players that they've got to if if you have Cunha as kind of the, the second striker or a, a, a ten, whichever way you want to look at it, you've got so many other players that you can put around them. You've got uh Lukabacchio, you've got Dil Rosen, who again has been used to very, very good effect off the bench. So I think with all those different players, if you're gonna put Cordoba in the team which I would every time if, if, if he was available I, I don't think you can really put Piontek next to him against all but the the very very I was just going to ask if he had played if he had essentially played in quite a short amount of time three different formations in three different teams in Genoa Milan and Hertha that's what I was getting at but that might not be true yeah, uh, I mean, he has played in a number of different formations, and that kind of killed uh, like Sebastian Allaire at West Ham, didn't it? Basically, yeah, and and like he's he's still he's still learning that. he's still learning the game really, Piontek, and you're you're not really allowed to say that about players yeah. who are 25. But I, I really think that's the case, and I think the point you make about Allaire actually is 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 a pretty good one, Luke, because um, what Allaire suffered from more than anything at West Ham, I believe, is if you look at the fact that he had that incredible relationship with Jovic and Rebic at Eintracht Frankfurt mm. it was the three of them together and the three of them have all been even though Rebic has, has come back and played pretty well by Milan now he's been you know regularly bullied by Zlatan Ibrahimovic into playing his best I, I think that, that neither none of them have been stronger apart than they, they were together and when we had Haller on Ramble Meets he said well you know, really, it's not just about um, the fact that we had the complementary skill sets to fit together. It's that we just got time to play together. We got time to learn each other's games. And, you know, that, that never really happened for Alara at West Ham. And it's, it's not really happening for Piontek at Hertha either. Yeah, it's a shame because he's obviously got a bit of quality. Oh yeah, we hope that he gets mm. to show it soon enough. Gentlemen, let's finish with this one from Kev Zandel. Kev Kev Sandal, I should say. 
Kev and Andel. Kev, Kev uh, yeah. and Marcus, I can understand. I can understand you couldn't <laughs> pronounce Labadia, but what's going on there? <laughs> no, it's, I think it's Kev Sandel uh, with a double L for those who, who want to look out for him. He says, because I know how much Andy loves individual awards in a team sport, who do you think will win the 2021 <laughs> Ballon d'Or? I will predict that 2021 will be the year of Mbappe Poch. Uh, he could make the difference uh, and your PSG over the line in the Champions League and with the Euro scheduled for the summer Mbappe has another chance to shine on the world stage do we all agree with that yep I, th- I think um, <laughs> well look, I, f- f- I'm, I'm about as enthusiastic about international awards as as young Andy is so forget as me. Andy is about the league and FA Cup yeah exactly. <laughs> well as Andy is about everything that isn't top flight European football um, yep. but to me, it's it's an interesting. It is actually an interesting discussion because of the era we're living through, right? So, twenty twenty, there's no there's no Ballon d'Or because of COVID. Twenty eighteen, we see Luka Modric get it. In my view, erroneously, but I understand why that was the case. Same, same. Yeah, uh, and I think you have to go all the way back to uh, two thousand seven with Kakar to to find the last person that wasn't Ronaldo or Messi winning it. Now, the reason I say it's an interesting era to talk about it, perhaps, is because you've got two players who really, if we're all being totally honest, up until maybe I mean Andy will be able to kind of put a bit more detail on this than me, but up until quite recently, it's been quite difficult to make an argument, if not impossible, that those two are the standout best players in the world and they have been for ages, Marcus. I know you'd agree with that. So I thought you were going to say, that, should they be starting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no. What I was going to, what I was going to say was, we might find from this season, it might be the first time that legitimately mm-hmm. you could look elsewhere for it, and that is quite. That means that we might see this this kind of award, which I agree with Andy in principle is is you know to me it's totally pointless, but you know, whatever. But it might be now that we're getting into a stage where it mm-hmm. does become a bit more interesting again because there's going to be a lot more variation. Who wins it? Yeah, Andy, I'd like to put a name to you. Perry's mate Kevin De Bruyne interesting just on that Marcus that's, that's interesting it is interesting but if you when I, when I said you go back to 2007 right if you mm-hmm. go all the way back to well I'll, I'll, I'll bring the list up here in front of me the list of winners before Ronaldo and Messi changes a lot. duopoly was amazing mm. You know, it, was, yeah. it, was a, it really was a who's who of really fantastic players. If you go back to 91, mm-hmm. Jean-Pierre Papin, then you go Marco Van Basten, Roberto Baggio, Fristo Stoichkov, Georgie Weyer, Matthias Sammer, Ronaldo, Zidane, Rivaldo, Luis Figo, Michael Owen, Ronaldo again, mm-hmm. Pavel Nedved, uh, Shevchenko, Rondinho, Cannavaro, and then Kaká. That's a really good... To me, I think, even though I'm against individual awards, that's a really nice way of saying, do you know what? Look at all these great players we've had down the years, you know? Yeah. I agree. Having said that, in all those names you rolled out, no Raul. No, but no you can't. You can only Raul. give it to one. You can only give it to one player, right? And and he, so, as a, as a result, you're going to get disappointments. If if he's been overlooked in an individual season, then fair enough. Um, but but it, you know, you, surely you understand that, like you know, not always the best, or not 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 every single person can be recognised. Uh, yeah, that's true. And um, none of those people have been recognised in the era of um, Ronaldo and, and, and Messi. I think it's quite interesting when you stack it up against, say, um, I, I guess what's what's an even more coveted title, like the, the MVP in, in the NBA. The fact is that there, if you align, say, LeBron James with Cristiano Ronaldo and 
Leo Messi in their era and of course they're all, all, all three athletes are of a similar age if either Messi or Ronaldo have been winning it every year LeBron James should have been winning it every year in the NBA yeah, but okay. there's, there's always a sense in the way that it's perceived that the narrative needs to move on and I don't really want to use the word narrative but there's just no better way of putting it I don't think and I think it's quite interesting how in football there's not that sense of the narrative that needs to, needs to move on. There's the fact that, you know, they need to be recognised again and again and again and again. And I think actually it will go even further than that because I think when we do get to the Ballon d'Or in 2021, are Ronaldo and Messi still going to get a shitload of votes? Yes. Will at least one of them finish in the top three of the voting? So, yes. Even though Messi should be absolutely nowhere, nowhere near, near it. it. Yeah, so, so Randy, my, my point on this, uh, something that maybe is more relevant, and Marcus, I'll be interested in your opinion on this as well, actually, is that I get part of the reason I think, there's two reasons why I don't really like the individual award thing. One is because obviously it's a team sport, right? Two, I don't think the players and the managers and the people who are asked to vote on these things, whether it be PFA Player of the Year or whatever it may be here. or They the don't vote board, honestly. They don't give a shit. They don't care. The PFA will have to be changed to, to April because they couldn't get people to vote on it before they went on holiday. I think and they do care. They, they do care, but they care in a different way to, to, to what you think. You know, they, um, they vote based on their mates and on petty little squabbles and rivalries. You know, they don't vote on who they actually think are the are the best players I like Cristiano Ronaldo thinking do you know what I had that one game about eight months ago I didn't score a goal who was playing centre back that he must be the world's <laughs> best player he must be he stopped me scoring me <laughs> how do you feel about it Marcus give us your take on it I think it's going to be Kevin De Bruyne this year but do you like to it answer... are you into it well I, I just want to answer Kev Sandal directly yeah. Um, because because I think he, you know he's asking who who we think. I mean the Ballon d'Or is inevitable. I, I don't see why it's done on years. It should be done on almost like school years because that's the season. Uh, that's to me is always baffling. Yeah. When you think of well who's had the best season, or who's who's had the best twenty twenty. I mean I understand that the sort yeah. of calendar dictates. Just run a transfer window to like thirty for June or whatever. Well I just yeah I don't understand because you, you can have a you can have a wonderful season one year and then the next season you know maybe not so but that's not maybe your fault there was a managerial change or or something like that so you can have a blistering first six months of the year and then the, the next six months is a bit uh. so what are you voting on then I think there are t there are two reasons for that aren't there firstly um, calendar the, the, the game is <laughs> the game is the game has got to be like at least make a pretense not to be completely Eurocentric and um, secondly I think okay. it, I think it harks back to before we all thought of the Champions League as the absolute pinnacle of, of football in achievement when it was about when it was about the World Cup or about the European Championship and that would dictate the winner but Messi and Ronaldo as much as they've turned it into really a statistical competition above anything else um, they've I think brought it out of just being about international football as well or about the pinnacle of international football so I think you could argue that it's outdated outmoded it, it doesn't um, the format current format and the current format of judgment doesn't um, really recognize the way that that football's moved on the football's changed that the the pinnacle of achievement is is different going back to the Kevin De Bruyne thing um, obviously part of the reason that Xavi and Iniesta didn't, didn't win it was because of that they lived in the Ronaldo Messi era but I think when we go back to major trophies being linked to your ability to 
to win those major awards. De Bruyne is not winning that without Manchester City winning the Champions League. Yeah. It, it, just, it just won't happen. And even then, I think you look at the overall strength of City, you can compare it a bit with Bayern Munich, really. I mean, he's going to have to have a season where not just he plays brilliantly, but probably bangs in a ton of goals as well in the latter stages of the Champions League while they win it, if he were to win it, to elevate him above all the other players in the team. Because you know how Bayern kind of split the vote. I think City would do a similar thing. What if uh, Belgium win the Euros, Andy? Yeah, that could be one, couldn't it? I don't. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think that. Um, look, to me, I know it's unfortunate last year because of what happened. But presumably, I wasn't following that closely. But presumably, Robert Lewandowski was a shoe in to win it last year. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So I mean you wonder whether there'll be a certain amount of sympathy for that if they go on to do well this season by Munich I mean he scored a ridiculous amount of goals last season didn't he and on the Eurocentric point Andy I think I'm right in saying that no player has ever finished in the top three of the Ballon d'Or having not played for a European club hmm. so it's not I mean if they are making a kind of nod to it it's a very lazy nod so you think Gonzalo Higuain's chances have gone no, I wouldn't say God, I'll vote for him, but I don't get a say, sadly. Well, I mean, he could be managed by Fizzer soon, couldn't he? <laughs> there's the dream team. That's a, there's a, did, did Fizzer ever make it into the top three? Uh, I, don't, I don't think he, he did. Was, listen, he was a good player, Fizzer. Couldn't he get 50 England caps? He must have. Maybe, but uh, yeah, David Beckham finished second, I think, a few times. Yeah. Although I get confused sometimes with the FIFA player of the year and then yeah. Ballon d'Or because they sort of mixed it up the, the, the only foot the only foot the only award I'm interested in is the Golden Foot Award yeah you can only win it once the best what about the best yeah. Andy what's, which one's the best again the best is, is the FIFA one isn't it okay right Fuck, it's uh, mad isn't it it's absolutely mad well there we are go on then let's have a little shout Andy who do you think go on tickle Kev's fancy who are you saying I think it'll be Lewandowski because he'll end up scoring more goals than he did last year I think, it, I think it'll be him as well for, for probably that reason but also because of the fact that people will start to be look I think Lewandowski is the best striker in the world and so yep. he missed out last year unfairly in my view not anyone's fault but unfairly nonetheless um, so I think he'll probably get it alright I'll go for Tom Kearney thank you very much for your <laughs> questions everybody it's been an absolute pleasure on the mailbag pleasure having Luke Moore on the pod as well oh, I speak on cool. behalf of yes. everybody who's listened to this thank you and a pleasure of course always with your good self Andy James Brassel Lovely old job. Thank you very much, Patreon people. We love you dearly. We'll see you next week for another mailbag. Ta-ta. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.